wanna take some time this morning and, and share a passage, like I said, that I've been reflecting on the last few weeks. And I hope it's gonna be helpful for us as we look to consider what matters most, and, and especially what matters most as we move into this new year. If you need a Bible, would you hold up your hand? And um, we're gonna be in Luke chapter 10. So if you need a Bible, hold up and ushers will bring you a Bible where you're seated. This is what we're gonna look at as we go through these 20 verses here. And we're gonna go through them rather uh, quickly, but we're gonna look at our role, the result, and our rejoicing, all right? Our role, the result, and our rejoicing. What is our role? Well, let's look at this here. Chapter 10, verse one, here's what we read there. It says, after these things, the Lord appointed 70 others also and sent them two by two before his face into every city and place where he himself was about to go. Then he said to them, the harvest truly is great, but the laborers are few. Therefore pray the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Now, the context of this passage that we're looking at here is Jesus, of course, sending out 70 uh, people that are gonna go forth and, and spread the good news. They're gonna evangelize. They're gonna be giving the gospel out to different regions. Now, it says that he sent them out two by two before his face. Now, that's interesting because the previous chapter in chapter nine, we saw the Lord doing a lot of great uh, miracles, a lot of great things here. And giving that message at the end of chapter nine about the cost of discipleship. Now he's putting these things into practice, right? He's sending 70 out before his face. Now it says earlier in chapter nine, verse 51, that it came to pass when the time had come for him to be received up, that he steadfastly set his face to go to Jerusalem. Jesus steadfastly set his face to go to Jerusalem. In other words, he knows exactly what his mission is. He's going to go to the cross. He's gonna be given up. He's gonna be betrayed and crucified. And Jesus resolutely and courageously set his face to accomplish those things, a very important thing. But now he's sending 70 out before his face, it says, before he goes down to begin to prepare people and prepare people's hearts to receive him and to give out the good news. Now, 70 is interesting. He's already sent 12 out with much the same kind of calling, but now he sends 70 out. Now, some manuscripts will say 72. Some of your translations might say 72. Mine says 70. Uh, and it's kind of split over, you know, what is the, the accurate number. I, I think 70 is, is well intended because just as Jesus sends 12 disciples kind of representing the 12 tribes of Israel, so now he sends 70 out. Now, why is that significant? Well, Genesis chapter 10 gives us the table of 70 nations. It was kind of like a picture of encompassing the whole world, right? And now, as Luke was writing with a very universal intention, the gospel, Jesus here is sending 70 out, which is really implying that the gospel is meant to go, not just to the house of Israel, but to go to the whole world. Every person needs to hear. And so Jesus sends 70 out as kind of a, a, a representation of how the whole world needs to receive and hear the gospel. Now, as he's sending them out, there's some important things from this passage I believe that we can glean from. We're gonna look at, at five things here just under our, our role that I think we can glean from. First of all, notice what he says here. The harvest truly is great. The harvest truly is great. Now, interesting, the Lord moves from 12 to 70 as we've made a case of. We don't know much about who these 70 are. There's not a lot of details given about them, but it reveals that the 12 
didn't have a corner on evangelism, on the gospel, that they had to be the ones that were taking it out, not like they're sitting in the back going, wait a second, Jesus, were we not good enough? Like, didn't, aren't we doing this already? Do we not qualify any longer? Have we failed? They're not looking to say, it's gotta be us. The harvest is great and there's much work to be done. So there's no need for competitiveness or comparison. We need to simply be active in serving the Lord in how he directs us and leads us. So these 70 are basically sent out to be ambassadors or to be representations of Jesus or to make him known as ambassadors of Christ. Guess what? That's a calling that we all have. Notice what it says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 18 to 20. Now all things are of God who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not imputing their trespasses to them and has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Now then we are ambassadors for Christ as though God were pleading through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. Listen, this is a direct calling and a distinct calling that we all as believers in Christ have and that we're to take upon ourselves to go and be ambassadors in this world, letting people see Jesus in and through us, but also letting people hear about Jesus through what we have to share with them. We're to make Christ known. That means we share the gospel with others. And as hard as that can be for some, I get it, listen. It's not always uh, an exciting thing that we wake up every day going, boy, I can't wait to get out there and, and go and share the good news with somebody. But understand there's great blessing and joy when we fulfill what we've been created for. We've been created to make Jesus known, my friends. That's essentially what we're to do. We're to glorify God. We're to make him known. And when you begin to fulfill and operate in the very calling that God has upon you as ambassadors of Christ, you're gonna find that there's great blessing and joy in that. You're gonna be able to go to bed at night, put your head on the pillow, just feeling at, at peace and, and, and with joy, knowing that you are fulfilling what God's created you to do. And I encourage you, take time this coming year to intentionally share the gospel with others. You may have encounters where people think, you know, you've lost your mind or you joined some cult. You may walk away feeling like an absolute fool, but there will be many others too that will be thankful that you've shown concern for their eternal state, that will take to heart what you said. Oh, there may not be immediate change, but that's not up to us to provide immediate change. That's the Lord's work. That's the Holy Spirit that's gonna draw them to him. We simply need to be those messengers declaring the good news of Jesus Christ and that salvation lies with him. So take part Amen. in being a part of the harvest. Notice Jesus said there, to pray for the Lord of the harvest. Let me go back to this passage here. What does he say? He says, pray the Lord of the harvest to send out labors. Now, here's what we need to do. We need to be praying for the Lord to send out labors, but also recognize when you begin to pray for the harvest and you begin to pray for the Lord to send out workers in the harvest, guess where he's gonna start? <laughs> He's gonna start with you. We like to pray, Lord, please send that person to the harvest. I think they've got a real gifting and calling in that area. Lord, please take that group of people right there. I'll be faithful to pray. And we need to be faithful to pray, but understand when you begin to pray, 
allow the Lord to begin to give you a burden in a heart for the lost and for the people in the harvest and pray that the Lord would use you in being a worker in the harvest. The harvest is great, but the labors are few. Guess what? We're never going to max out. We're never going to exhaust the harvest. We're, there is much work to be done and understand something, time is short. And as, and as time is advancing on, guess what? The harvest is only growing and the labors are only becoming fewer. There's much work to be done. Let's be about our father's business. There's no unemployment in Christian service. There's always something to do, so pray. Lord, send out labors in the harvest and, and Lord, may you start with me, use me, send me, use me and, and allow me to be an ambassador of you in this world. Now, along this role of being ambassadors and witnesses, Jesus gives some good details to be aware of. Notice what he says here in verse three. He says, go your way. Behold, I send you out as lambs among wolves. Carry neither money bag, knapsack, nor sandals, and greet no one along the road. But whatever house you enter, first say, peace to this house. And if a son of peace is there, your peace will rest on it. If not, it will return to you. And remain in the same house, eating and drinking such things as they give for the labor is worthy of his wages. Do not go from house to house. Whatever city you enter and they receive you, eat such things as are set before you. So here's the second thing. Well, what's the first thing that we saw? The first thing that we saw Jesus point out is that what? The harvest is what? The harvest is great. There's much work to be done. Can you read my printing? I, I don't know if you can. I can barely read it, but we'll put it in there. The harvest is great. Secondly, what do we see him specifying as he sends out people? He says, oh boy, I send you out as lambs among wolves. That's not like a, a real selling feature there, is it, right? When you want to encourage somebody, hey, I got a great work for you to do. This is going to be awesome. But guess what? You're going to be like a lamb going out to the wolves. What do wolves like to do to lambs? slaughter them, man. They devour them. They eat these things up for lunch, breakfast, dinner, anything that they can get their hands on. You are, you are toast, right? As a lamb among wolves. That's not something that necessarily is going to get people, you know, amped up about going out and serving the Lord in this way. But the Lord makes us clear. Listen, this is the reality. In other words, don't go with false expectations thinking like, oh man, People are just gonna love me when I begin to share the good news with people. When I begin to tell them about Jesus, man, crowds just gonna come. They're gonna be so excited. Oh, thank you for sharing this. No, Jesus lays it out very clearly. The reality is, and the world's gonna hate you. The, the world's, for the most part, gonna really rebel and reject this kind of message. But understand something, my friends, and Jesus makes this clear as well. They're not hating and rejecting you. They're hating and rejecting me. As being an ambassador or a, represent, a representative of Jesus, know that they're going to take it on you, but their real anger is with Jesus. Their real rebellion and, and rejection is against Jesus. But he makes it clear to us, don't have false expectations. Know what you're getting yourself into. Count the cost. Have we counted the cost? Have we counted the cost of what it means to really be a servant of Christ? to be a, a, a witness of Christ. And he goes through that in the end of chapter nine, the cost of discipleship. Are you ready for persecution? Are you willing to go all out and lay your life down for Jesus? See, if your desire 
to be popular outweighs your desire to be faithful to Jesus, then your priorities are out of whack and you're not gonna be a true ambassador of Jesus. Vance Havner said, any man who takes Jesus Christ seriously becomes the target of the devil. Most church members do not give Satan enough trouble to arouse his opposition. Listen, if you're facing enemy heat, then you're probably disturbing the work of the enemy, and that's a good thing. And that's what we're called to do. We're called to go out as lambs among wolves. But Jesus also, I believe, has in mind to specify kind of the, the comparison here that there is with the world. The world's gonna be hostile and, and harsh with those who come with that message. But we're to be as lambs. We're to be gentle, not aggressive, not fighting back, Lambs need to rely upon their shepherd just as we need to rely upon our great shepherd. And notice it's our great shepherd who is what? He says, I send you. It's Jesus that's sending us out. And as he sends us out, guess what? He's gonna be with us. He's gonna protect us, strengthen us. He's gonna provide for us. With his commandments come his enablements. And so we can go confidently knowing that we're going into enemy territory, but we have a great shepherd who's on our side, who's sending us out, not as lambs to the slaughter, but as lambs among wolves, where we know we're in hostile territory. We're in a hostile world that's not going to readily just receive the message, but we faithfully give it up because there are a lot of wolves that are just unhappy being a wolf. They're starting to get a little disgruntled and, and just tired of life as a wolf. And there'll be those that will wanna change, that'll wanna see something different. And we need to live differently so that they begin to see that there's another way. So the harvest is great. Secondly, we see it's a hostile world. I'll put that uh, a hostile world. And then, what else do we see? Well, third thing I wanna look at is how we need to be careful we don't get weighed down by the things of the world. See, what does Jesus say? Carry neither money bag, knapsack, nor sandals. Don't get weighed down by the things of the world. They weren't to take anything along the journey for themselves that was kind of in excess where they were sort of, you know, putting their, their trust in those things. Now, later on when the disciples are sent out again in Luke chapter 22, they're gonna be told that time to take items with you and be prepared. It's gonna be a different time at that time. It's important that they be ready and prepared, but... Ultimately, we're not to get distracted by weighing ourselves down with excess things that just really aren't necessary. And that's what the Lord is saying. You know, money bag, knapsack. He's not saying go barefoot. He's saying you don't need to take up, you know, five pairs of sandals thinking like, well, this day I might be going out for dinner. I want a different pair of sandals, you know. I need to match my outfit that I have for that day. I need options, right? That's kind of what he's saying. Don't take like multiple sandals like what some of us like to do when we're packing and going on a trip, right? We're just like one suitcase of clothes, maybe one suitcase of shoes, right? I'm not pointing any fingers at anybody here, but I've just been on a trip. I've seen it. So, um, but... Uh, now, three things are identified with things that can weigh us down, all right? Three things. Now, first of all, materialistic pursuits. And again, that's kind of mentioned in, in this verse where money bag, knapsack, sandals, all these things here, right, that we think are going to help us and provide for us. Don't get weighed down by an abundance of things. Travel light in this world. Be more trusting 
in the Lord's provision than in your own. Now, let me just say, you know, we, we live in a day where there's a lot of um, emphasis put on being ready. I, I'm all about being ready. There are those that feel, you know what, we're coming upon some very lean times in our world and we need to be ready. We need to be stocked up. We need to be prepared, right? I, I've got no problem with that. And there are others that are on the other side going, you know what, I'm just gonna trust the Lord. My God will provide all that I need according to you know his care in my life. And so we're just trusting the Lord. Which, which one is right? Well, I don't think neither of them is, is wrong. I think though that as we prepare, we gotta put our trust more in the Lord than in our own provisions. And on the other side, saying, you know, oh, I'm just trusting the Lord. Well, there are things that we need to do to be ready, to be prepared, but ultimately we trust the Lord. And so that's what the Lord is, is revealing. And you don't need to get weighed down by a lot of other excess materialistic things. Just trust me, I'm gonna take care of you. Secondly, they weren't to be weighed down by relational pursuits. Well, where's that in the text? Notice what he says here. Greet no one along the road. What? Wait, that, that sounds so anti-Christian. Is that what we're supposed to be doing? Greeting, are we supposed to be sharing the good news? Why wouldn't we greet people? understand the kind of the, the, the context and the, the culture at this time because as people were traveling along the road, what was very customary was to stop and, and engage in you know lengthy kinds of greetings and conversation that just oftentimes became very trivial. The Lord's not saying, you know, be rude, be impolite, just ignore people. That's not what he's saying. He's saying, don't get caught up and again, sidetracked in just trivial banter. You're on mission. And there's a, a focus of sharing the gospel. So it's not that you ignore people, but you don't need to get caught up in the kind of customary things of just trivial banter. Greet no one along the road in a way that is not gonna be helpful for your mission is kind of what is being implied. And then thirdly, don't get weighed down by selfish pursuits. Now, where do we see that? Well, look what he says here in verse seven. Remain in the same house, right? Uh, remain in the same house, eating and drinking such things as they give. So in other words, what he's saying is, don't be pursuing things to your own selfish advantage. Don't go from house to house looking for a better arrangement. Now, as they were to go from city to city, they were to go into a house that would welcome them in. And of course, the society in that day was very hospitable. So there's a stranger in town, people invite them in. So as you get invited into a house, stay in that house. Don't be looking around the neighborhood going, man, that house over there looks really nice. I don't have an ensuite in my room. Maybe they got an ensuite in their guest room. Maybe I'll check that out. Don't be looking to see how you can kind of advance your own comforts and selfish pursuits. Be content, in other words, live simply and gratefully because getting caught up in personal comfort can easily sidetrack us from our true mission and role. So eat what things are given to you. Don't be complaining, be grateful. Do not go from house to house. And he says in verse nine, so moving along here, verse nine, he says, and heal the sick there and say to them, the, the kingdom of God has come near to you, but whatever city you enter and they do not receive you, go out into its streets and say, the very dust of your city, which clings to us, we wipe off against you. Nevertheless, know this, that the kingdom of God has come near you. So what things are we gleaning from? Well, first of all, the harvest is truly great. 
You're going into a, a hostile world. Don't get weighed down by the things of the world. Number four, we're showing here now that we need to be proclaiming the good news. Proclaim the good news. That's really what our role is as ambassadors of Christ. Represent Jesus, but communicate the truth of salvation, forgiveness of sins, life in Jesus. And say to them, the kingdom of God has come near to you. Says it again down here. The kingdom of God has come near you. Now, when they went in the town, what were they to do? It says, go and heal the sick there. But again, that wasn't the, the mission in a sense. Go and heal the sick there because that was simply giving way to the message, you see. They're to heal the sick and that was characteristic of Jesus's ministry, but it also established for people the reality that the kingdom of God was present. That the kingdom of God was present. There was a signal of the arrival of the kingdom by people being made well, by sight being given to the blind, by the lame being able to walk. But that healing was to give way to preaching. It validated the message. Now, many people were looking for the kingdom of God to come. They were in their Messiah looking for a political leader that was going to overthrow Roman bondage and bring Israel back to the glory days. That's what they were looking for, but that wasn't going to be the reality then and there at that time. Yes, Jesus is coming again where he's going to establish his rule and reign on the earth and this kingdom is going to be established. That time is coming very soon, I believe. But understand, the kingdom of God had still come near to them. How so? By them simply opening their hearts and allowing Jesus to come and occupy the throne of their heart. For Jesus to come and rule in their lives and to bring about that reign of peace and righteousness. That reign of peace and righteousness that we're going to see literally and physically upon his kingdom can be experienced personally in our lives as we give way to Jesus Christ and allow him to occupy the throne of our hearts. So the kingdom of God has come near you. Let people hear that. Let people know that they can find salvation, that they can find peace and righteousness in Jesus Christ and it's found in him alone. The kingdom of God has come near, so proclaim the good news. Lastly, and this is not a popular topic here, but number five, we see that judgment is coming. Judgment is coming. And again, like I said, that's not a popular topic to discuss today, especially when it should be just a nice, feel-good New Year's Day message. Let us leave here feeling good about ourselves, right? But I bring this up not to scare us, but rather to motivate us. Look at what Jesus says. But I say to you that it'll be more tolerable in that day for Sodom than for that city. Woe to you, Chorus, and woe to you, Bethsaida, for if the mighty works which are done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago, sitting in sackcloth and ashes. But it'll be more tolerable for Tyre and Sidon at the judgment than for you. And you, Capernaum, who are exalted to heaven, will be brought down to Hades. He who hears you, hears me. He who rejects you, rejects me. And he who rejects me, rejects him who sent me. So the reality that judgment is coming should compel us all the more to be ambassadors for Christ and witnesses of God. See, we live in a world that's been given so much information 
I mean, we, we can have the gospel preached to us 24 seven, it's at our fingertips. You can go online, you can go on the radio, you can hear the good news being shared. The gospel has gone out, but it has also widely been rejected. And because the gospel has gone out in such a great way, how much longer can the Lord continue to hold back judgment when so many people have heard? And, and understand, he mentions Capernaum, who was exalted to heaven. Why were they exalted to heaven? Because this was kind of like the headquarters for Jesus in his ministry. This is where the greatest amount of the miracles that Jesus did were done. They had the greater light. They saw more than most. They had the benefit of Jesus dwelling there, working, serving among them, and yet they still continued to reject him and rebel. And it says they're gonna be brought down to Hades. There's gonna be a greater judgment upon them because they've sinned against a greater light. And you see, it's all the more reason for us to recognize the mission at hand. The Lord's coming soon, I believe. Don't sit idly by. Time is short. Hell is real. And it should concern us that people are going there. But you see, we have the answers for them. We have the ticket out of hell. It's found in Jesus Christ, who has died on a cross to save us and spare us from his judgment and his wrath that we could experience life in him. People need to hear that. And we need to be those that are willing to step out as lambs among wolves and give that message out no matter what the cost. Now remember something as an encouragement for us here too, for the church. When ambassadors, and I'm talking, you know, actual ambassadors in our world and in our globe and among governments today, when they are in a foreign country, they are representing their government, they're representing their country. But whenever nations are ready to go to war, what happens? Those ambassadors are called back home. And I believe the Lord is on the brink of declaring war upon this world. That's what the tribulation is gonna be. It's gonna be the Lord pouring out his judgment and wrath upon a Christ-rejecting world. But before he does that, what is he gonna do? He's gonna call his ambassadors back home. He's gonna bring them back home. That's gonna be the rapture where we're gonna be caught up to meet the Lord in the air and, and be with him in heaven while war is breaking out upon the world, the tribulation periods for seven years. I say that to let you know that there's not gonna be time when judgment comes to go, oh yeah, by the way, I should have told you, this is, this is what's going on, guys. Let me, let me tell you so you can get right with the Lord. We're not gonna have time then. Now is the time to share with people. May we be those that are getting that good news and message out. It reminds me of the story of a, a priest and a rabbi from local parishes that were standing by the side of the road holding up signs. The rabbis read, the end is near. And the priest on the other side of the road held up his sign, which read, turn before it's too late. They plan to hold up their signs to each passing car. Well, one car drives by, oh, get a job, you bums, they yell out. Another car drives by, get off the road, you freaks, leave us alone. And then suddenly they heard this crash, bang, and splashing of water. And the, the priest and the, and the rabbi looked at each other and said, maybe we should have used different signs. Maybe we should have put on there Bridge out would have been a better sign to put up. Well, let's be those sounding the alarm, my friends. Um, so we've seen our role, okay? 
Our role is to be ambassadors of Christ. Man, may this be a year where we are intentionally going out, spreading the good news, praying for the Lord to use us as laborers in the harvest. But understand the reality. The harvest is great. It's a hostile world. Don't get weighed down by the things of the world. Simply proclaim the good news and understand that, that judgment is coming. That, that's to motivate us. But now let's look at, at the result of these things. Notice what we read here in verse 17. Verse 17 uh, says, then the 70 returned with joy saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. And he said to them, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Behold, I give you the authority to trample on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy and nothing shall by any means hurt you. I hope you see that clearly there. See, it may not have been an easy task for these 70 to be sent out. They might've been thinking, oh my goodness, like how are we gonna do this? How are we gonna provide for ourselves? What's gonna be the reaction of people? I mean, there may have been doubt after doubt, fear after fear, worry after worry, wondering like, what's gonna happen to us? But notice what happens when they stepped out in faith. How did they all return? With what? With joy. They returned with joy, my friends. I want you to see that. That's the way it's going to be whenever we walk in faithfulness to what God calls us to, no matter how daunting the call might be. And I know that whenever we talk about evangelism or witnessing, there are many of us sitting back going, oh, that's just not for me. That's just not me, that's somebody else. And it can seem very daunting. But when we step out in faithfulness and obedience to, again, what God has Commission, I believe all of us to be as ambassadors, when we step out in faith with that and faithfulness, and the result is gonna be joy. And again, it's not about results. The Lord's not looking for you to be successful. The Lord's just looking for you to be faithful. The results are with him. He's the one that's gonna bring people into the kingdom of God. We just simply need to be that mouthpiece. But understand when you do, there's gonna be joy because we're fulfilling the Great Commission. We're fulfilling what we've been called to do. Now, let me move on to our rejoicing. Luke chapter 10, verse 20 says this. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rather rejoice because your names are written in heaven. See, the disciples, I mean, they're pumped over all the things that they've been able to see happen. Oh, now we've seen demons subject to us in your name. Don't, don't ever forget that it's in Christ. It's not in us. We don't have the power. It's only Jesus that does. Yes, he gives us authority in his name, but it's all because of him. But they're rejoicing over all these things. They're, they're just, I'm sure, doing high fives. They're doing cartwheels around. They're just like, man, woo! Look at this, man. This is like a new era, man. I can't, oh man, this is gonna be amazing what we're gonna be able to do now. They may begin to think about the ministries that they're gonna hold, you know, the kind of platform that they're gonna have now, the things that they're gonna be able to do, the money they might be able to make, you know, book sales. Like, all, they're probably thinking this is gonna be great. But the Lord says, hold on a second, guys. Do not rejoice in all those things, but rather rejoice because your names are written in heaven. My friends, that's the singular, most greatest thing that we have 
to rejoice in is that Jesus Christ died on a cross to pay the penalty for your sin. He died and rose again to give you life, to secure salvation and eternal life for you. Know that your names are written in heaven, that you are a child of God that is gonna spend eternity with our creator, with our savior who has redeemed us and forgiven us. That is what we are to rejoice in. That's the singular, most greatest accomplishment that's been done for us. It's not something that you have done, it's something that's been done for you. And listen, if you're having trouble today finding reasons to rejoice, rejoice in that. Perhaps this year, you've experienced some major accomplishments that you're thankful for. Well, rejoice but don't let them overshadow the biggest reasons to rejoice. And perhaps you've experienced this past year some real setbacks and you're having a hard time finding reasons to rejoice. You're dwelling upon regrets, missed opportunities, perhaps failures. Well, today I pray that you would focus on the singular greatest thing that you've received and may it cause you to find reason to rejoice and be glad despite the setbacks. Because in and through Christ, our names are written in heaven. All those things of yesteryear will one day pass away. They will come to pass. We have been made new in Christ. Old things have passed away, behold, all things have become new in him. You're saved, names written in heaven. Rejoice in that. Why does that give us cause to rejoice? Because Jesus has something better prepared for us. This world is not our home, my friends. Secondly, Jesus has done the deed and sealed the deal for us to go. It's not dependent upon your ability. You know, there are many Christians today that aren't rejoicing in salvation because they think their salvation is dependent upon themselves. There's lack of assurance, lack of peace. They're wondering, man, have I done enough? Have I faulted in any way that I forfeited my salvation? Well, your salvation was never dependent on you to begin with. It's based on what Jesus has done. He's done the work, so rejoice. He secured this for you. And thirdly, it reminds us that this life is temporal. So don't let it weigh you down. Don't let your setbacks hold you back. Don't let your accomplishments cause you to rejoice in vain things. Rejoice in the greatest thing. And that is that your names are written in heaven. Jesus has done the work for you. May it cause you to rejoice not just today, but all throughout this year as you give thanks to God who has saved you by his grace and mercy.